crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> Man, don't those things like get your heart? There is something about when somebody has been gone for so long and you have been waiting with great expectation for them to return. You don't know when they're coming, but when they come back, man, it's just like, I just want to hug you. I don't want to let go. I just want to be wherever you are. We're talking about that this morning, that unexpected or unspeakable joy when the thing or the person that you've been waiting on actually finally shows up. There's an overwhelming joy. Um, We've been in this series in Mark. We've been, uh, for the past three weeks now, we've been in Mark chapter 13. Um, And some of you are like, let's just get through it. And I'm going to tell you as a pastor trying to teach through this, I'm like, let's just get through it too. Okay, because it has been hard stuff that we've been working through. In Mark 13, we have bumped into all kinds of questions that don't really have a whole lot of answers to um, or have difficult answers that have been debated for time and time again. Um, And to be honest, there are questions that we haven't even brought up that are still laying on the table. There's a lot of questions um, that still need answers. But one question that remains that I want to talk about before we wrap up chapter 13 is, is Jesus really coming back? You know what I'm saying? You ever think about that? Like, it's been a really long time. And so is Jesus really coming back? And the question for you may not be, is Jesus coming back? Because as a believer, like you've been longing for that day, you're waiting for that day. And so maybe your question is, when? When is Jesus coming back? How's this story going to end? Because I've been waiting for a really long time, but it's not just you who's been waiting for a really long time. It's generation after generation after generation since Jesus said, I'm coming back, that he's hasn't come back, and so we're still waiting. So it's an honest question. Like, who doesn't really want to know how the story is going to end? Who doesn't want to know um, when Jesus is going to come back or how Jesus is going to come back, or if we put it in the context of our culture, when the world's going to end, right? When everything's going to change. But to be fair, I think the whole idea catches a little bit more steam and a little momentum as we start to roll downhill and going a little faster when trouble starts breathing down our neck. When you start facing adversity, Um, because I think we all probably would say we want Jesus to come back, but we really want him to come back when there is trouble on the horizon, Um, when we've been thrown into the fire. And when that happens, we just like, who hasn't cried out at some point, like you're in the middle of something like, Lord Jesus, just come back right now. Because I don't want to face what I'm facing. I don't want to face what's getting ready to come. I mean, uh, I'm going to need you to come back right now. The taxes were supposed to be due a couple weeks ago, and, like, I haven't quite got there yet. And so, like, if you could just come back so we could just avoid all of that, that would be fantastic. Or I'm failing a class right now. I should be passing it, but honestly, I haven't gone to class. And and so, like, if my parents find out that they wasted $1,200, $1,500 on me to take this class, and they know that I've got to take it again... They're not going to be too happy about that. So, Lord Jesus, come back now, right? Lord, I've messed up again and again and again. If you're coming back right now, it would be a really, really good time to do it because I don't know what next step to take. Now, I know I'm supposed to take the next best step, the next right step, but I can't see clearly enough to know what that is. So if you could just come back, that would be fantastic. My life is falling apart. So, Jesus, would you please come back. Now, when we're against the wall like this, the question comes out, Jesus, where are you? Are you really coming back? Or when are you coming back? Now, up until now in chapter 13, Jesus, he's been giving the disciples a whole lot of bad news, right? He said, persecution is going to come. You're not going to be able to avoid that. 
People are going to hate you because they hate me. If you've chosen to give your life to me and you've chosen to follow me and you're going to follow me to the end, you need to know that it's not going to be easy. People are going to hate you. The temple, the place that you worship me and where you come and you connect with me and other believers or uh, other God-fearing followers, like that's going to be destroyed. It's not going to be here anymore. And there's going to be some wacko lunatic who's going to come at some point in history called the abomination of desolation, and he is going to completely desecrate the temple. You need to be ready for that. It has been bad news city for these disciples. Everything that Jesus says in their mind can be like, what are we supposed to do with that? Now, let's just be honest. Um, Do you think if the disciples had known this from the beginning, that they would have known the persecution that they were going to face, they would have known the conversation that they were having with Jesus right now, do you think that they would have stayed along to be having this conversation with Jesus? If on day one, they knew on day 1,000 here, before he gets ready to go to the cross, what he was saying Do you think that they would have said, hey, yep, I'll come follow you? What about you? If you knew the hardship that you're facing in your life, the the most painful, dreaded thing that you're walking through right now, you just wish, man, if I would have known this, that like as a believer in Christ, I would still face something. I don't know if I would have come. I don't know if I would have followed or not. Would you have been there in this conversation with Jesus right now, or would you have just stayed? See, this is a a bit of a sidebar conversation, but I do think that it's amazing that for three years that Jesus has been walking with these disciples, and he's been preparing them for conversations like this. He's telling them something like this about the tribulation that's going to be coming, the, the persecution that's coming, and that they've got a better chance now of receiving it in this moment of time than they did on day one when he said, come and follow me. So if you're wondering, if you're like, man, like, why is this going on in my life? Don't be surprised sometimes if God doesn't give you the answers that you want when you want them, okay? We cry out to God and say, God, why, why, why? Or when, when, when? Don't be surprised if he doesn't give you the answer that you want when you want it because he's not holding anything back on you. The truth is you just may not be ready to handle it yet. You may be on day one when he needs to communicate something to you on day 1,000. You may be on day four and you're wanting answers that you're not ready to handle until you get to a little bit further down the road with him. But don't give out because, don't give up yet because he'll give you some answers along the way. But if he told you everything right away, I think some of us would bug out and say, man, I I don't want anything to do with this. But after time, as you've grown and you've got some roots established, then he'll start giving you some some of the answers maybe that you're looking for. And so Jesus right now, he's dropped a lot of heavy news on them right? And I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the scriptures, I try to imagine what the disciples are doing. I try to imagine how they are uh, functioning with Jesus and uh, the conversations that they're having. And this is probably one of the worst conversations that they've ever had with, with anybody in their in, entire lives. You know, can you imagine what this must have looked like for, for the disciples? They're hearing this, like, are you kidding me? What the world? Eyes bulging out of their, their face, mouths wide open, like, what did we sign up for? James hitting his brother John, like, you know, giving them that look that you give his brothers, like, I told you we shouldn't have done this. Like, like I, I tried to tell you before we left. This is something like this is going to happen. And that's hitting them on the shoulder, like, you got us into this trouble again. These are teenagers. These are teenage boys. Peter's probably the only one in this group that's married, according to, to, to history here. 
And so these are just youngsters who have said, I'm going to follow you. Can you imagine how these youngsters are trying to process all this heavy information that Jesus is dropping on them that they are going to pass on to generation to generation to generation that you and I get to learn and grow from? Teenagers receiving this information. But listen, it's against this backdrop of darkness in this time of history and the persecution and the abomination that Jesus, in the middle of this darkness, that he is going to split the sky wide open and that he is going to step out of eternity and back onto earth to take what rightly belongs to him. And so people who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for so long, they are finally going to wrap their arms around Jesus. They are finally, these tears that they cry are going to be tears of joy, this unexpeakable joy when he splits through the sky and they see him. Amen? (laughs) Jesus is coming back, y'all. Your face doesn't tell me that you're excited about that. Look at verse 24. But in those days... After that tribulation that he's been talking about, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Sounds like a lot of chaos, doesn't it? Jesus is saying that there is going to be a time of turmoil like we have never seen before, like they've never seen before. And like he's sitting here right now, if you really want to uh, see how this plays out, check out Revelation. Go home and read it if you want like, not to be able to go to sleep. Uh, at night. Um, Read Revelation because Revelation kind of gives you a play-by-play of what's going on here. It gives, adds the color commentary around it, and so you can see it in vivid color of what's happening in this tribulation period. Now, a side note that I think we need to talk about before we go any further into 13 um, that we've kind of, we maybe could have talked about last week, but we put it to this week, is that there are pastors and there are theologians all around the world who are living now and who have lived long before we have even taken our first breath on this earth, that, and, and myself included here, many people think that the global church is not going to be here during the time that Jesus is talking about right now. But there's going to be a time um, that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about something called uh, the rapture. Now, um, everybody who's talking about Daniel and Revelation and Mark and, and, Matthew and how the end comes, everybody's got their chart. So I figured I would have a little chart for you guys too. This is my simplistic little chart here just to help us get our minds around this. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's an event um, that, that is talked about um, uh, that has been dubbed the rapture by, by theologians. And it's this taking away, it's this removing from the earth that, Jesus, uh, that Paul seems to talk about. That's going to happen before this tribulation kicks off that Jesus is talking about. And it's called the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, not everybody, listen to me, not every theologian, not every pastor, not every commentator agrees that this is when this is going to happen. Most people, most people agree that there is going to be a rapture of the church, but where it falls on the timeline is debated. But this is where, from my training and from my reading, this is where um, I see the, the rapture happening. So, and then... Uh, after the, this pre-tribulation rapture, Jesus is going to partially come down from heaven and he's going to take the church to be with him forever, right? And then after the rapture, there's going to be the seven-year period of tribulation that, where, uh, that Jesus has just talked about here in chapter 13. And during that time, there are going to be people who come to Christ. 
It is not the last opportunity for people to hear and to come to Christ. Now, there, I think during this seven-year period, there is going to be a wake-up call for, for people when they wake up and like things have changed and they begin to see the signs that they find in Scripture or that they talked with about mom and dad, hey, be ready, or grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle said, hey, this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, the lights click and the Spirit is beginning to move in that person's heart. And now they're going to come to Christ. Now, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult for people to come to Christ during the tribulation, but it is going to be possible. It's going to be hard for them, but they can trust in Jesus. And at the end of that seven-year period, there's going to be this grand return of Jesus, which is known as the second coming. And that seven-year tribulation period that was spoken of by the prophet Daniel that we talked about last year, that, or last year, last week, that is being played out here uh, in Jesus' words, it seems to be what's happening here. And the second coming of Christ is going to follow those seven years. And it's against the dark black drop of this history that Mark mentions again in verse 24. He says, after that tribulation, the sun's going to be dark, the moon's going to be dark. Now, if you work a late shift and you get off work and you walk outside, it's going to be dark. If you work a morning shift and you walk outside, later, it's going to be dark. All the light has been removed. There's nothing but darkness here. Um, I, I like to use this illustration, and maybe you've heard me say it before. You probably have. Um, but you've heard that the night is always darkest before the dawn, right? Uh, light shines the brightest in the dark. I like to think about the brilliance of diamonds and the backdrop of black velvet, now, how many of y'all men are married in here? Okay, a good, a good bit. Why are y'all being shy about it? Like, you're not sure? You don't remember if you signed the paper? Right? Like, she's just been hanging out. You don't know, like, why she's there? Right? I, I remember when uh, I was getting ready to uh, ask Ashley to marry me. Terrified, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I started looking for, for rings and diamonds and all that kind of stuff. And I was like... And what am I going to do? I'm broke. And so I go into the place like, hey, I got two bucks. How, how are we going to do this? And they're like, well, you can leave. That's what you can do. Uh, but I'm like, well, no, I, maybe I have a couple more dollars. And so um, I was like, can I, can I see the rings? And they show me rings. And like, I kind of really want to pick out something different. And so they would bring diamonds out and they would put them on the glass. Um, but they wouldn't just lay them on the glass. They would lay the black velvet out on the, the glass. And then they would pour the diamonds that you're trying to choose from on top of the velvet. Now, as soon as the diamonds hit the black velvet, and the diamonds just begin to pop, and you begin to see them, and there's brilliance, and there's magnificence in the color. Now, if you guys, like, if you were buying a ring for your wife, you're like, you went through the whole deal, like, cut, clarity, carrot, all that kind of stuff, all those C's. You're like, I don't understand this, but, like, when you see it on the black velvet, you're like, these all look magnificent to me. And that's what I think Jesus is saying here. There is a brilliance that's going to just pop off of the black, of the darkness of history. The world is going to be so dark at this moment that when Jesus splits the sky, there's not going to be a person who is alive that's going to be able to miss the magnificence and the brilliance of Jesus' return. You think that the birth of Jesus was magnificent when the angels showed up? Like, hey, there's a king who's coming or he's come, like, go see him. You think that was bright in the sky? See, there is not a soul on this earth that is going to be able to miss the brilliance of the return of Jesus. It's going to be amazing. 
And so is Jesus coming back? Yes, he's coming back. Look at verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. <laughs> what a day that's going to be, huh? They're going to see him coming in clouds with great power and glory. Uh, my, my uncle, he passed away uh, a few years ago. He was, he was a pastor, and he was actually, um, he, what, it's not a, what's an undertaker? What, what do they call him now? Um, uh, a mortician. He was a mortician. Like, pastor mortician. Like, he kind of on both sides of life here, right? And, uh, but he, he passed away. And one of his favorite hymns, I remember he would sing it all the time. It was, Oh, What a Day. Anybody familiar with that old hymn? Oh, what a day. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved, I should stop singing. One who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. And he would sing this over and over and over and isn't it going to be a glorious day when Jesus returns? And when you see the power and the glory of God lighting up the sky with Jesus splitting through, it's going to be a magnificent day. And then he'll send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Let's talk real quick about what Jesus is saying here about gathering the elect or gathering his people. Um, we could go real deep into this, but we're going to kind of fly 30,000 uh, 30, feet over. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, uh, there's this list of blessings and curses. Um, there's this list of, if you obey me and you follow me, there will be blessing. If you disobey me and you don't follow me, then there's going to be curse that comes along with that. But in Deuteronomy, chapter 3, God promises that he is going to, at one day, he's going to gather his people from the four corners of the earth, that he's going to bring everybody back together. Now, let's shoot straight, I think, about Israel here, okay? Israel messed up a bunch. Did they not? I just get over and over and over again. They just kept messing. <clears throat> they just kept going as, excuse me. <clears throat> they kept going as hard and fast away from God as, as they could. And they messed up so hard. They turned their back on God. They ran after idols. They ran after false gods. They prostituted themselves to every wind of religion that they encountered. And they chased after that as fast as they could. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you at all with the culture that we're living in, but there is, this, there is this temptation or there is this movement to just drop away from everything that we've ever known and just to go embrace things that are strange to us, to, to, move, to move away from God's word and God's law and God's, God's grace, to just go after like the Israelites did here. But here's the deal. We serve a merciful and a gracious God. Would you agree? We serve a merciful and a gracious God who was way more gracious to us than, and, and way more faithful to us than our fickleness is toward him. Like he is so gracious and yet we don't deserve that at all. And because that's true, the, the fact that the Israelites ran away a bazillion times and yet God continued to pursue them every time that they messed up. And when they would mess up, he would pursue them again. It's, that's why I think we still believe that Jesus will deal kindly with us and graciously with us when we mess up. And when we come to, because we see him run after Israel so many times, we look at our life and be like, well, if he did it for them, maybe he'll do it for, for us too. And that's the reason why I think we're not afraid to come back when we've blown it so many times. Now, there's a theology that kind of runs around of like, oh my goodness, I messed up, so I need to run and isolate as fast as I can because I can't get close to God because he'll smite me, smote me, he'll be done with me. 
But then there's another side of this theology that, man, I messed up. I need to run to my dad as fast as I can. I need to get close to him again so he knows that that, my, that is not my desire. I want to be where he is and so that I can experience his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in, in my life. And I think when we look at how God dealt with Israel, we're able to find that, man, when we mess up, we can go there too. We've seen God deal so freely and graciously to Israel. And then later when we read the New Testament, we see it through Jesus. Because Israel, they've been exiled out of the land for 70 years because God was judging them because they had turned away from him. But he promised, though, against the black backdrop of that chaos and against the darkness and against the exile in the 70 years that he was going to one day, he was going to gather them again and he was going to bring them back into the land that he promised to give them. And he did that. After 70 years, he brought them back into Jerusalem. He brought them back into the land. And if you were to read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, you're going to see exactly how all that played out because it is marvelous to see God fulfill his promise. But he wasn't done with his promise because that's the near fulfillment. There's a far fulfillment of that prophecy as well. Um, There's a further fulfillment of the, the promise that there is going to be a day when he's going to come and he's going to do this again in the future. He's going to gather his people wherever they are and he's going to bring them together. So let me come back to the question. Is Jesus really coming back? Jesus says, I'm coming back. I'm not going to leave you guys as orphans. I'm going to take just a quick field trip with you guys to John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, please turn over to John uh, 14. We'll take a little detour. Um, Let me set the table for you as you turn there. Uh, Jesus and the disciples... They're sitting um, together at what we know as kind of like the Last Supper or the Passover meal, the, the last meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples, hanging out with his friends. And they're spending a few last moments together before it gets crazy. Jesus is going to go to a cross. He's going to die. He's going to give up his life. They are going to be scattered, and they are going to go. But before all that happens, he wants to tell them a, la- a couple last things before he takes off. Now, he knows he's getting ready to leave, right? He knows he's getting ready to go to a cross and die. He knows he's going to raise from the dead. He knows that one day he's going to come back. He knows all that. He's been trying to communicate it to these knuckleheads, but they haven't quite picked up yet what he's been laying down. And so they haven't gotten it yet. So here's what Jesus tells them in John chapter 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may, all, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, how do we know? How, how do we know where you're going? How, how can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then right after this, in verse 18, after he tells him the Holy Spirit's going to come and while he's gone, he says, I won't leave you guys as orphans. I will come to you. And so Jesus is like, look, guys, I'm getting ready to leave you, but don't freak out. I'm going to go and I'm going to get a place ready for you. Uh, in our terminology, he says, I'm going to go prepare heaven for you. And what that looks like theologically um, he's got it together, right? In our timeline, he is gone and he is preparing for this. And don't you think it makes sense that if I'm leaving to prepare a place for you, that I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you also. I'm going to take you to be there where I am. It wouldn't make any sense for me to build something for you and not come 
and get you so that you never get to experience it, that I never get to give it to you. So he says, I will come back for you. You won't be orphaned. So will Jesus come back? According to John 14, he says, I'm coming back. That's what he tells him in John 14, and that's what he's telling him in Mark 13 as well, and he tells him in so many other places. But the problem is, though, when? When is he doing it? That's still, that's still the question that lays out there. When is Jesus coming back? Now, for you and I, like waiting is not really our game, is it? <laughs> Anybody in here just really, really good at waiting for things? Like you're like, dang, man, I'm the best waiter in the world. Like, that's, what, that's what I do. Um, we, we were uh, at Chick-fil-A last night. We were, uh, Anderson and I, were, we were driving through, and the line was so stinking long, and there's two lines, and they try to do their best, but um, y'all, the prices are going up there too. Like, it is nuts. Like, we walked out, of like, did I just buy a car? Like, what, what, just, what just happened? Um, but like, we're sitting there, and I'm talking, like, we're there for like 35 minutes, and like, just waiting to, to get through the line. And I'm like, losing my mind, because I am not good at patience. You know, you pray for the fruits of the Spirit, man. You pray for them, but I think that's one that never comes off the tree. You're like, where, like, where is it? And so I'm like dying in the car. Don't, like, don't judge me because like, we're all in that boat, right? Like, no, none of us are really good with, with patience, um, I think. Um, I'll wait to see what you tell me. When we are waiting for Jesus to come back, there are things that we experience mentally, emotionally, physically, there are things that happen to us while we're waiting. And so I want to walk through just a few of these things here. Um, so uh, we'll, talk, we'll just put them up here and then we'll walk through them. So excitement, we get excited that Jesus is coming back. Fear, we're afraid that he won't come back. Disbelief, we just don't even think it's going to happen. And then spiritual apathy, um, uh, that happens. So the first one there is excitement. When, like, the obvious expression of our hearts when we're waiting on somebody to come back is excitement. And that makes sense to us. It's what we just saw in the video when we got started. There was excitement when, when somebody who was gone and you've been waiting for them to come back and you don't want it's going to come back and when they do come back, like, you, there's just this unexplainable, unspeakable joy that just overflows and you just squeeze and you hug and, and that's what happens. Our emotions are just bursting with excitement when we think about Jesus coming back and the fact that we get to spend eternity with him. I just want to ask you, is that you this morning? Like, are you thinking, man, I am so stinking excited for when Jesus comes back. I am waiting for that day, just bursting with excitement. There's another emotion that's fear. Um, fear that we work through. Every one of us, we carry baggage around with us from our past. And some of our bags are so full of, of joy and love that it's just overflowing and you just can't even keep the bag shut. It's just good baggage. But that's not all of our story. Um, I wish it were. I, I wish that that could be every one of our story, but that's not everyone's. Um, the story that many of us have is that the baggage is bursting open with, with pain and hurt. Um, people have let you down in the past, and it really hurts. Um, systems have failed you. People have walked out of your life. And because of that, you wonder if it's you or them, because it keeps happening. Like, man, it's, it's like, am I doing something wrong? Is it them? Like how, like, and you try to, but at the end of the day, you just kind of come back to, well, maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe something's wrong with me. And because other people have walked out on you, you wonder, is Jesus going to do that too? Like if I, if I trust that he's going to come back, like, is, like he's just going to abandon me? Yeah, he says he loves me. He says that he's coming back for me. But what if he doesn't? What if he's just like everybody else I've encountered in my life? That I think they're there. I think they're there for the long haul, but then then they're gone. Is that you this morning? 
Is that the emotion that you feel when you think about the, re- the, or the, the, the coming of Jesus? Are you afraid that he's just not going to come back because of the bags that you're carrying? We have another bag, a uh, disbelief. Uh, some people really struggle um, to believe that Jesus is actually going to come back at all because if Jesus had come back maybe in a reasonable time frame, you know, whatever a reasonable time frame might be, because it may be before you, maybe after you. But if he would come back in a reasonable time frame, well, then maybe I would believe. But because it's been so long, doesn't the amount of time that he's been gone, doesn't that just tell us that it's never going to happen, that it won't happen, so let's stop getting our hopes up? Is that you this morning? Are you just kind of like a skeptic and you're here? Like you've shown up and you're here, but you don't really believe any of this stuff. And, and so Jesus has got to do some really, really like, like intense digging in your heart to get you to that place. It's a valid question though. Like why has Jesus been gone for so long? Why hasn't he come back yet? And I'm going to give you a short answer and maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but it's because he loves people. Doesn't that sound contrary? Like he hasn't come back because he loves people. And you say, well, why? Like, like if he loved people, then like, wouldn't that mean that he would come back right now? Because you look around the world and the world is chaos and things are falling apart. And if he was a loving God, he would come back now and just take us to get rid of all this stuff. I want you to listen to what Peter says again here in second Peter three. He says, but not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And here's the rub that we feel. Like, we can try to get our minds around that piece, but here's the rub that we feel. When we ask the question, why is it taking so long, or is he ever going to come back, or when's it going to happen? Here's the rub, because Peter answers it. The Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise. You're like, why isn't he going faster? And he says, he's not slow to do this, <clears throat> as, as, some, uh, as some count slowness, but he's patient. If you've got your Bibles and you write and you underline Underline patient, that he's patient toward you. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter says he hasn't come back yet because he's patient and he loves people. He wants more people to hear about him. He wants more people to fill the halls of heaven. Um, If he returns right now, how many people will be lost forever, never connected to Jesus? And my soul longs for him to come back right now. And I think your soul probably does too. We long for that. But if he did, how many people miss Jesus right now? And think about it. Is it your family member? Is it a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, aunt, uncle, cousin? You just want to know Jesus, but they're not there yet? Who misses out? Maybe a friend that you've become deeply connected with that you just love? You care about them? Jesus comes back and they don't know Jesus. What's that mean for them? What, what about a neighbor that you're just getting to know and you want him to know Jesus? If Jesus comes back, <clears throat> what if 25 years ago somebody was praying, Jesus, come back now. You weren't yet a believer and Jesus came back right then. What would that mean for you? And so our soul longs for Jesus to return. But Peter says that God is so patient and he is waiting because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to miss. Did you know that right now that there are over 7 billion people on the planet? 7 billion people. In a study that was done in 2010, and so this is outdated, but this is 2010, it was estimated that there were about 2 billion of those 7 billion people who would identify themselves as Christians, right? So you got 2 billion Christians in a world where there are 7 billion people. 
So that means that there are 5 billion people on earth who haven't yet trusted Jesus. And that's just in our generation. That's not in generations gone before. That is just right now how many people are waiting to hear about Jesus or waiting to receive Jesus. So that's why he hasn't returned yet. He hasn't returned because he is patiently waiting for you and I to do our job of going out and making disciples so that 5 billion people don't die not knowing Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He is patiently waiting for them. So you have excitement, you have fear, you have disbelief, and then you have apathy. Apathy. I was reading in 1 John this week, and uh, just like in John 15, the word abide pops up over and over and over again. I think what Jesus is saying there is that as believers, our number one job is to find our life in him, to be plugged into him, to be tethered to him, to be a branch that's connected to the vine, to be a branch that begins to get healthy and begins to bear fruit, to abide, to remain, to find our life in Jesus. But with spiritual apathy, there is an enemy. Or the enemy, <clears throat> spiritual apathy is the enemy of our uh, abiding, of staying close to Jesus. According to the dictionary, um, the word apathy is a lack of interest, lack of enthusiasm or concern about anything. And if you were to connect that to our spiritual apathy, that's a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern about the things of God. Try that on for a second. Does that fit? Just a lack of concern or enthusiasm about the things of God? Here's how we see that playing out in the church today. Of the two billion people who have identified themselves as Christians, there are so many of us who have said, man, we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We believe this. We believe it and we want to follow, but because of the circumstances of our lives, we just start plugging into finding life in other things other than God. And he ends up getting put on the back burner. And we put other things in his place. And so because of that, there's a natural consequence in our, in our lives because of that. Then there becomes no desire to be in the word of God. No desire to grow. There's no true longing and desire to be around brothers and sisters in Christ outside of Sunday morning. We come Sunday morning and that's our check for the rest of the week, like we're good until we show back up. And so there's no real desire to, to be with the body that we're going to spend eternity with. There's no desire to plug in and, and use our God-given gifts to serve and edify the body of Christ in the church. What happens is we begin to value other, other things. And what happened is what happened is that we've stopped living like we actually believe that Jesus is going to come back one day. Now, we say that we believe that he's going to come back, but we functionally order our lives in a way that says, no, we don't actually believe that he's coming back. Um, we say it, but our lives don't show it. And so we, if we were to take an inventory of our lives, where would we see our focus? What would our calendar tell us? What would our phone tell us? What would our checkbook tell us? What would our bank account, what would our time, effort, and energy tell us about where our focus is? is our, are our eyes on the return of Jesus? Are our eyes on living for Jesus? Or is our eyes turned towards something else? And this is not a guilt trip. This is reality. I'm living in the same world that we're all sitting here living in too. Um, many people have stopped living like Jesus is coming back one day. And so let me ask you, like we've been asking of the other things, is that you this morning? Have you become apathetic to the things of God and just stopped living like, man, he's really going to come back one day? This is what Jesus was warning the disciples about in the last part of Mark 13. There is this exuberant excitement of Jesus says, I am coming back. You better believe that I'm coming back. But the reason that he tells us is for a warning. 
for them and for anybody else who's going to read this so that they would be prepared and so that others would be prepared. He knew that there was going to be a temptation to stop watching for his return. He knows when he's coming back, but he knew that there was going to be a temptation in the waiting, because we're not really good at waiting, that we would just get busy doing other things and lose sight on the fact that he's actually returning. And so he says, guys, 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 listen up. I'm coming back, so get excited about that. But here's the deal. Stay alert. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Be ready for my return. And Jesus, as we begin to wrap up here, he gives two illustrations. He gives a fig tree and a man who's going on a journey. Now, the fig tree is all about knowing that the season is near. Like, it's coming. It's right here. Right now, we go outside of our houses, and we look out, and the trees are in bloom, and there's new leaves that are popping out, and there's these trees that are flowering. They've got flowers all over the place, and it's a beautiful time of the year because things are fresh, and it's amazing. It's beautiful outside. And when you see that, you know that very soon that the fruit-producing trees are going to start having fruit on the trees. The flowering trees are going to have flowers on flowers, you, flower tree. Is there a which flower tree? <laughs> I'm not a horticulturist, okay? I'm a pastor. I don't, my thumbs are not green. Some of y'all walk in, you could, you could, there you go. You, you can grow anything, but for me, like I kill stuff. That's what, that's what I, plants, plants. Don't take that as a sound bite for some. <clears throat> Jesus says, when you see all of these things, when you see the branches that are tender and you see the leaves popping out, you know that the time's coming. You know that I'm near. The last illustration that he gives is this man on a journey in verse 32. Here's what he says. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. That's what we've been saying for the last three weeks, that nobody knows a day, only the Father knows the day. <clears throat> but he says... Be on guard, keep awake, for you not know when the time's going to come. It's like a man going on a journey who leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house is going to come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. What's he say there in those last two words? Stay awake. Stay awake. I don't know that Jesus could have been any more clearer than what he was trying to get across right here in this moment. We don't know, but our job, the thing that we do know is that he is coming. And what our job is to do is to stay, to stay awake and to stay alert. <clears throat> I remember back in 2004 um, when I was in Baghdad, there was, we were on like this six-day mission and we were fighting against this militia. Um, and it was tiring, it was gruesome, and it was, everybody wanted to be home um, but I remember we were on this position, kind of on the ridge of a hill, and we were lo looking down into a village um, with uh, enemy combatants that we'd been fighting for so long. And we knew that these guys were just like 300 yards away. And we knew that any minute, something could be coming our way. And so our job was to stay alert so that we stay alive, right? And so <clears throat> my job at night in this moment, I was a gunner in the turret of a Bradley linebacker. And so I'm looking through a reticle, and my job was to scan. You just keep scanning. All night long, you just keep scanning to make sure nothing's moving, nothing's coming our way. And so I just remember, I'm like, got my eye to the reticle. I'm just scanning, scanning. It's getting later. I'm scanning, I'm scanning. And you just, just naturally, your body starts to shut down. You're like, man, I want to stay awake, but it's so dang hard because I'm tired. And I know that there's enemy out there. 
And I know that it would behoove me and everybody around me to stay awake, but it was really difficult. And we live in a life every day where we are told by Jesus to stay awake, to stay awake and to stay alert. But there are so many things pulling us as we're scanning, as we're looking and we're looking and we're getting tired. There's so many things that we're looking at and we're not looking at Jesus and to keep our eyes on him. Jesus says, guys, I'm coming back. Keep looking for me. Stay awake. Don't give up. Stay alert. If you've got kids, talk with them about this stuff. They need to know that there's going to be a day when Jesus is going to come back. Point them to Jesus. Let Jesus be the front and center of your life so that in your home, Jesus is front and center. So that doesn't get confused. Let him be the front and center. Is Jesus coming back? You bet he's coming back. And he's told us how it's going to end. Right now, um, you and I are fighting battles of cancer. We're fighting battles of, of losing people. We're fighting battles of depression and disappointment. We're fighting battles of the, just the wrong turns that we make and we want to do right. But we need to know that the ultimate battle has already been won. And we're just waiting for Jesus to, to fully fulfill this battle here in our lives. So we see him coming back. And so you need to know, when you feel pain, remember that's only temporary. Jesus is coming back. When you feel persecution, remember that's only temporary. Jesus is coming back. And that's not to minimize pain. That's not to minimize temptation. That's not to minimize persecution. Those things are real. But it's in the light of knowing that Jesus is coming back. When you feel overwhelmed, remember, it's only temporary. Jesus is coming back. So I, I want to wrap up by doing this. Sometimes when you know the end and how, how it's going to end, it helps you endure the process that you're in. So all I want to do is I want to read with you a few verses of Revelation 21 so that we can recalibrate and know how this thing ends and the hope to which we are looking for, and why this kind of stuff matters. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn to Revelation 21? We'll read the first, we'll read the first seven verses, and then I'll pray, and then we'll go home. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Jesus has already come back at this point. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He would dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I was reading this with my kids uh, this week at the dinner table, um, just kind of talking about this kind of stuff. Um, dinner table, if you're a parent, is just a great place to talk about Jesus, um, to pull out the scriptures, and we don't do it all the time. Honestly, it doesn't happen often, but we have these moments where we get just, we put, just pull it out. And we talk about Jesus at the table. We read something, and it's not scripted. We just do it. If you're a parent, man, like, get your kids in the Word. Spend some time with them. But we were sitting around the table, and uh, one of the kids, when we read this, they said, you know, are there going to be tears in heaven? What about happy tears? And I, and I said, well, you know, I don't really have a theology of tears, um, but I do think 
that the tears that Jesus is talking about here, that John is talking about for Jesus, I, I think they're tears of pain, tears of hurting, tears of loss, um, tears that Jesus wipes away when he removes sin. But I think there's room for, for happy tears and happy tears of joy. I wouldn't die on that hill. And he was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for time. Thanks for time in your word. Um, this is a very difficult chapter that you've placed us in. Um, but I am so glad as a pastor and as a body that we've walked through some of this difficult stuff. Still got questions, still need answers, but we just trust you to walk us through it. Um, for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have shared um, in the family of God who will one day sit at the the, the marriage supper of the land at the table and we will, we will elbow one another and we will uh, eat together and drink together and celebrate the, the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness and the mercy that he's um, freely given to us from our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to stay awake. Father, that we would keep our eyes on Jesus, that we would not be distracted as we're scanning, that we would scan towards you and not scan towards the things that are just distractions. Father, give us the ability to stay awake and to keep our eyes on Jesus and to watch for your return, to live and to know like you are coming back. For my friends in the room who haven't yet trusted Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would just help them to know that there is a day that's coming, that there is a day where your son is going to come and there will be judgment. And the sheep and the goat will be separated. Those who have trusted Jesus will spend eternity with him. And those who have not trusted him will spend a life without him. So, Father, I pray for, for those who don't yet know Jesus in this room. I pray that today would be the day that they throw all their sin at your feet. And they come to you and say, I receive your forgiveness. I am sorry. Would you forgive me, God? I repent. Come to you. Jesus, I trust your work on the cross for my soul. And I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. Thanks, Lord. Father, I pray, man, that you would do some tilling of hard hearts this morning. If there's skeptics, if there are people who just don't know or, uh, and, and haven't felt the courage to, to step out, I pray that you would break hearts and you would do that work right now in this room and that people would understand that you're coming back one day. And so, Father, we ask you to do work that only you can do. Thanks for our time in Mark 13. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.